You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Chun and Yerushalayim Irakadish. I'm Avram Kivalevich. It's no surprise uh, that this period, 10 months, 11 months, almost a year, has increased everyone's dependence on not only what we're doing here, which is, of course, teleconferencing, but all sorts of connections to our computers because we couldn't really live without it. We couldn't make payments. We couldn't shop. Uh, we couldn't be interconnected. And there's no question about it, again, that it saved so many people. Zoom, Zoom minyonim, being able to at least see another person. In fact, life couldn't have proceeded without it. So we must all realize how the great debt that we owe to the convenience and the availability and accessibility of our devices. But before COVID descended upon us, we were hearing, as you know, Dr. J, a lot of voices decrying what has been occurring over the last 15 years, especially since the development of the iPhone which is connection almost to the point of a mania, an addiction to having that device with you. Now, last week, we talked about the great invention of the automobile and how that changed things. Maybe future sociologists will talk about this device, the idea of the not only the PC, but the PC that you hold in your hand, your phone, which you can't almost live without, almost to the point, as you know, of even normal human connections between people living in the same building, in the same house, in the same room, doesn't happen unless somehow each person is on their device, each person is connecting, even texting to each other when they could actually be talking. So I know that this is something that, that both of us have seen as a tremendous change in our in, 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 in how society functions, how, how people interact with each other. So I'd like to get your take on now that we've entered the state where it's almost completely enveloped us, what does that do to a person? What, what has happened really to the person on, 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 a, on a micro level? And maybe also talk about society on a macro level since we've entered this era. Okay, I think I made the question clear. Go ahead. Very well. Okay, glad to be here as usual. So let me um, just reflect on what you said or what you set out over here. And I want to talk, um, I guess primarily my experience comes from dealing with um, colleagues and with students for many years and watching this progress. And also I had a um, fairly... um, large or robust research program looking at the effects and the, the effects and causes of um, people getting involved with electronic communication. So let me outline what I want to say, first of all. Um, so the first question is that you have to um, understand that you can look at people who are over-involved with electronic devices as being a result of something about them. 
Or if you want to talk about society, the fact that society is getting more and more involved with devices, you can see something as indicative of society. And then you can look at it from the other perspective, which is what does this involvement do to people, do to society, which means that even if they wouldn't be predisposed to get involved or over-involved or addicted, now that it's around and people do have to get involved, what does it do to them? So those are two perspectives. I'll be happy to address both. Um, I want to, of course, you know, um, take issue with two things that you mentioned. Um, one of them is that life could not have proceeded without it in these circumstances. And I think that's true for some people, for people who very much are, we call them, they're high on object relations, which means that they need to have interpersonal contact in order to exist as human beings. Without Zoom, it would be a killer. But what it also could have meant to some people is that it would have given them time for themselves, which you usually don't have. When you're constantly involved with people, you have no time to look for yourself, to examine yourself, or to relate to, relate to yourself. And here, this would have been a golden opportunity for some of us. Would it not have been, let's, say, let's say COVID came out, and the idea is, okay, you cannot go to work, and there is no electronic option. You'd be stuck with yourself in some cases, and then you might grow in certain cases, or decompensates. I wouldn't necessarily say it couldn't have gone on without it. It would have been a different kind of life. And also, I just want to qualify within the electronic devices that there is a hierarchy and that Zoom comes much closer to interpersonal contact than does texting or sending an email, etc. Because I remember just when email came out and there was no texting. There was a difference there. It was a transition. Okay. Let me hear what you want to say. No, no. Since Yeah, well, as usual, look, I I was just setting the table for you. And, of course, uh, you found uh, a fly in the soup. But uh, let me just just say a couple of flies, a couple of flies. (laughs) I can't even get a metaphor out without without you uh, (laughs) without you throwing throwing some gasoline. Talk it up to OCD. It's fine. It's all right. I'm I'm used to it. I I, I wouldn't have you any other way. Um, but let me just respond. Um, and, and I know we want, I want to get to, to the real meat of what we want to talk about. Um, you know, I I think that uh, yes, uh, there would have clearly have been a, uh, a an option. And I think everybody, even the ones that used Zoom or, or immediately shifted to their devices or to their computers, everyone really did have a a moment or a, a period where they had to re-examine what they were about. And I think we've all done that, even because we know, it, as you said, it comes close to interpersonal real connections. But of course, there's still limitations and almost like a grotesque version in some ways of a real one-on-one conversation. Uh, so, so I, so I think that yes, many people shifted right away. I think even the ones that did re-examine and did do some sort of examination about themselves, what their life meant, what was important to them, who were the people that were going to be on their list, who were the people that they were going to, as opposed to this hurly burly sense of life. I think there was even for those who jumped onto this life preserver, there was a re-examination that occurred. Now. Uh, just one other point on this, 
I agree with you that there uh, could have been even a greater option for growth for many if they would have just turned everything off. The problem, of course, and, and, and we know that's sort of like the Robinson Crusoe uh, type of idea where, you know, you have someone, you know, I think it was um, Daniel Defoe who wrote Robinson Crusoe. I think that was part of his hundreds of years ago. His idea was take a man from civilization, put him on an island and allow him to actually strip himself bare to what it means essentially to be a human being. And well, think thorough. Think thorough. Okay, that's a little bit later, Walden. But uh, but I you know I know he's more in your in your in your wheelhouse because uh, of, of of the psychological implications of mm-hmm. of, 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 okay. of Henry Walden throw. But that idea has been with us for a while. I'm going to throw out another thing since many of our listeners aren't professional uh, eggheads, but also like the uh, um, modern media. It was a great film that. Uh, I, I with Tom Hanks called Castaway, where you basically, if you remember the film, it follows one character who is shipwrecked and is able to sort of like become a different type of human being with 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 isolation. So I, I agree with you. This is a theme that that that, that occurs throughout literature, and you're right. It, it, it maybe we didn't do enough of that in terms of thinking about what's crucial and what is the essence of a human being and how it could have been even more of a growth. I just want to push back and say, I think that occurred on some level for everyone. But anyway, go ahead. That's all I wanted to say. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. So I, I want to outline a couple of, um, of markers here. So first of all, let me just tell you an anecdote. Okay. Um, when I was in school, in Buffalo. Um, my wife was here in New York. I had to commute. And um, I remember that there were always things going on, issues going on. This is pre-cell phone days. And essentially, it meant that while I was seeing patients in internship, while I was um, teaching even, I could always get phone calls. You know, this is going on, that's going on. We maintain two households, two cars. It was a little bit complicated. But I can tell you that I had peace. My best peace was when I drove back and forth, okay? I had hours on end when I know I can think something through. I can come up with a diagnostic formulation. I can think about issues and learning, whatever I was doing, six hours, seven hours straight. And I have to admit, I would stop over Binghamton, call on the phone saying, I'm here. Is there something I need to attend to? And then there was another phone booth at the foot of the Brooklyn Bridge, and those are my two phone calls. Otherwise, it was eight, and sometimes with traffic, 10 hours. I had time to myself, okay? That's kind of interesting. And let me even move back just in terms before the phone came up, okay? Before the phone came up, your um, problems were kind of circumscribed to the area you were in. Problems that happened overseas, you wrote letters, okay? That's going way back. And even after that, you needed landlines. Without a landline, you're liberated. So the phone basically um, invaded our time to ourselves and basically mortgaged our time to other issues. What I would say also is that um, whereas the phone basically, even for people who are not traveling, shrank spaces because it means you can now relate on an immediate basis across long distances or the tele- telegraph to a less extent, but the phone so much so so 
I think that the cell phone basically shrunk time away because there used to be time lags. You can't deal with an issue or respond to an issue until nine o'clock the next morning or until the doctor's offices open up. Whereas then, all of a sudden, when you have this kind of cell phone stuff, you have messages coming in, and now you can relate the stuff that happened at the daytime. Data is just coming in. I will often get patient data in the middle of the night and be expected to process it by the next morning. So it shrunk time and it shrunk space. But what I really did is that it filled things up. There is no more lag time. You basically, at least health professionals, are linked to their job or to their role 24-7. That does something for you. It makes you basically um, indentured. It makes you feel that you have no more private existence. Everything is blended into the role. And of course, when you have somebody in an emergency, they're just asking one question. The problem is you have 30 only one questions, and they can destroy your night if you're conscientious. That, that's a pretty difficult way to live. Okay, please react to that. Yeah, we'll yeah right. Now, I, I'm just going to state the obvious, which is sometimes what I always do here, is that once you are plugged in to your vocation, as you say, 24-7, the other part of your life if, especially, let's say, if you're married and you have someone living with you, that is going to suffer because the, your or or your wife or your children. You, and, and I'm sure studies were have have been done to indicate that that since the the the, the cell phone and instant messaging and everything has attached itself to our lives, the quality of sitting down with your family, talking to them, spending time with them hearing what they have to say, listening to their problems, has probably not only been limited, but the quality, I'm sure, has devolved. I mean, I mentioned before we started something which probably happens in almost every family, many families today. I'm not going to say everyone, but I've seen it in my family where the kids are sitting around texting to each other instead of talking to each other. And even I will, I will, as, as chatosi, or as chatoseinu animazgarayo, I'm upstairs here, you know, talking to you, and I'll see a text from my wife about what's going on. <laughs> She's only one floor below, but it's become standard. And that, I think, has not only, as you say, we're, we're stuck to our jobs, it started to create a fissures and, and, and really negative aspects in our the essential relationships of what makes us people, uh, this, the, the, the nuclear family is really devolving because of that. Right. And, and of course, I, I can relate to that very well. I can tell you that sometimes um, something comes up and I mentioned, uh, you know, I'm going to call the person. And my wife says, no, that you don't do that. You WhatsApp. I can't just call someone and say, this is an issue. And it's rare. Like sometimes I do call and people seem to take exception to my calls, or sometimes somebody says, wow, somebody actually called me. Nobody does that anymore. So let me, I want to mention something else in terms of a, um, a schizoid uh, a, a symptomatology, and that is people who have gotten into the habit of leaving messages to themselves. But I did, memo to self. I mean, you see it on the movies. I've seen it done in the office. I've done that a lot of times because I have such a busy day. I'm going to listen to myself, say to myself what I'm supposed to do. I can't even think straight. I have to think through the medium of the machinery, which is quite scary in terms of 
we were talking about interpersonal relationships. I'm not talking about relating to yourself. You're relating to yourself through sending messages. It's kind of, it's kind of odd. Um, I also want to say that I do want to get to the point. Oh, yeah. One other thing. Um, time lags are finished. There's a sense of immediacy to everything because you can do something. If at least you can't change the problem. For instance, I can leave a message in the hospital. I can leave a message for nurses. Now, I don't have to wait till the next day. There are no shifts because those nurses do exist on their FaceTime. So they all know what's happening, even if they're not there. There's no time really to think things through because when you think things through, you may come to different conclusions. And that pertains as well. Let's say if you had an argument with your wife and you're both, I mean, you're asleep, right? (laughs) You can state your position now and you might live to regret that in three hours, but the thing is you've done it already. And not everybody has the fancy um, um, uh, macros to actually withdraw a message. It's not so pashut to withdraw messages, depending what medium you did. Okay, well, let me, I want to mention something else that we have to get to, although we can wait a couple of minutes for it. And that is just looking at the um, personality that predisposes somebody to get involved. And I was there, we're getting more into addictions. Um, there are people without electronic equipment, they would not be able to relate to anybody at all. Now, these are people who don't have the capacity for close interpersonal relationships, who before that would literally be uh, diagnosed as schizoid personalities. They literally can't relate. Maybe it's because of the uh, uh, closeness or intimacy overwhelms them, maybe because they lack social skills. These people have managed a modicum of interpersonal relationships that would not have been possible without this, okay? Uh, A far analogy would be training wheels on bicycles, right? There are older people who cannot learn how to ride a bicycle. And all over Jerusalem, you see these three wheelers set up with big baskets. These people are mobile. 70, 75-year-old people who never learned how to ride a bike or who have balance problems who couldn't learn it are being very immobile. And you can say that's great. And then you think of a mother who never takes the training wheels off the bicycle of her, of her now 25-year-old child and is still <laughs> relying on that. So you have to see that the technology is a pro and a con. Um, do you want to react to that? Before yes. I go to Facebook? You know what? I... <laughs> You know, I'm definitely not as dexterous, you know, and I know you hate when I put myself down. I, you know, I'm not as dexterous as in, in these reactions, perhaps, as you are. But I could definitely react to that um, because, you know, you're, you're sort of throwing a possibility. Yes, these are people who are, let's say, I, I don't know the, the proper mental health term, but they, they might be on the scale, the Asperger scale. They might be on a scale where normally they would have been on the margins of society. And now, because of our the way we connect communally uh, through Facebook, uh, through Twitter, through all these devices, they are now on equal footing, not just in terms of their family, but out there in society. You know, you have people who, uh, before the advent of these incredible inventions, would have been, <laughs> you know, sort of like blustering and within their own navel gazing or whatever it is. And now they are players, talkers. Um, now you saying that that empowers them, but I think on, uh, in another way, it, it, it gives them undue power and respect and maybe they shouldn't be those type of players. Um, 
right? It, it, again, you have people that you have people that that, that 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 what's wrong with them isn't just a fear of being of, of communication. There's other parts uh, that are that are not firing correctly, and now that everybody's been thrown into the the same morass of conversation, we sort of have to deal with people who, that we wouldn't have had to deal with before, and their voices. The great equalizer has has made everyone the same. Go ahead. Yeah. So what I would do is, you definitely make sense, but I would not say there's a correlation between people who have a hard time relating to others and between those who really shouldn't be heard. But I want to make another point, and that is that even within people itself, right? Um, there's a saying, you know, an old Yiddish saying: "Not everything you know do you have to share." Okay, and that's the truth because if you have normal confines, I don't have your ear 24 hours a day, right? A particular person, the doctor, I have three minutes to talk to you. A friend, you have two hours. A chavrusa, you have five hours. Your wife, you have 11 hours or 14 hours, but there's a limit. But when you have a chance to basically blurt out your thoughts or your semi-thoughts or your thoughts that would better be repressed at all times, you end up sharing things, I'm talking not between people, but within the person themselves, there is stuff that would be better left alone. And usually it is left alone. But when you have 24-7 availability, you'll dig in and say the most inappropriate comments or saying, you know, I I wouldn't say there's no normal circumstances, but since I have 24 hours, I can tell you, you know, that little thing about you bothers me. Why don't you just shut up? You know, it would be okay if you didn't say it. And you you. Don't stop yourself. And even the other person would say, if you had something to say, say it. But you were asleep. So why didn't you leave me a message? Why didn't you send me an email? So that stops the excuse for self-censoring. And it means that even within people, there's stuff coming out there that really belongs under the table, behind, under the carpet. And that's a problem there. I also want to mention something else, just in terms of self-esteem. Um, okay? Someone who does not have the capacity to relate to others now has the capacity to have 240 friends, okay? And you might say they're not real friendships. I'll say they are real friendships because even regular friendships now are phased out towards the service of FaceTime friends. So friends these days refers to FaceTime. Who talks about a real friend? You don't relate to them. You don't talk to them. You send messages back and forth. So in a sense, it's been a great equalizer. It's empowered people who otherwise wouldn't be there at the same time that it's also diminished the human quality of relationships. Even Relate to others in very superficial manners. And sometimes, you know, if you know tweets in 246 characters or less, that's the extent of a communication. If it takes more than that, nobody's going to listen to you. You're taking up too much time, and it probably is. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of an English teacher I had. If you can't say it in two pages, Sam, I don't want to hear it. I said, This is a complicated thought. Well, it probably doesn't exist because she said a, a criterion of two pages. I can hear somebody saying 248 characters. I can hear somebody saying one short email message. Don't tell me anymore. Okay? Because so people basically are reduced in their sophistication because of the wealth of options going on, which leaves very little time for humanity, so to speak. Yeah, but, the, you know, the genie, as they say, is out of the bottle and probably cannot be put back. Uh, no, you know, as I said in my initial, you know, intro, you know, co- we'll get out of COVID, 
But this period, I think, has been an amplification of everything that you've been talking about. And whatever the 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 result of of, of COVID COVID shadow, the the extent of that shadow, I think there's no going back. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I always like quoting you know popular culture and other things because I guess that's other than learning, that's sort of you know sort of my hobby. But there's you know Philip Roth and um, Stephen King both wrote uh, about their 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 horror about what was going on with everybody walking around talking to themselves right you know they all um, they all speak about this idea that let's say someone from you know in a time machine would go back uh would go 50 years in the future and and go on a, a average city street before covid and see people involved in their own uh, little universes talking in a grocery store they would say the world has gone crazy Right. Nobody. And in fact, that used to be the armchair diagnostics. A guy's talking to himself. He's crazy. Right. <laughs> what would they think of me leaving a memo to myself 10 times a day? Be sure to check that. Check this. Check that. You know, you know, but, he lost but, some screws. Right. right. But, it, but it, again, and this is just stating the obvious, which which sort of in, included what you said. But just imagine you're in a, a, a grocery store and you're 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 around the vegetable area and the five or six people that are checking out the melons are also talking right and and each one is having a separate conversation with somebody on the other line right and maybe 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 maybe. but let's assume they are so there there's the lack of respect of the person next to you who would like to find the proper melon for his dessert right but but the guy in front of him is, is 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 not only talking but is even gesticulating and screaming at the other person on the other line and there's someone behind him who's having a similar conversation and sort of the whole uh the the lack of respect for everyone around you the lack of 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 civility is the type of thing that we really look let me let me put it in a in a starker way Many people, when I tell them, you know, I lived in New York and I still live in the metropolitan area, but I'm a, a, a product of a southern small town, similar to your wife. In Memphis, in our town, you would walk down the street and say hello to every single person who passed by. When my parents would take me uh, as a young child uh, grocery shopping with them, every single adult and person I met would nod and say, how you doing? Hello? Hi? It was the person in front of you was a, was an opportunity to interact and give a, a civil positive response to that you know today what the hell do you want from me why is this guy even talking to me he should be talking to himself or talking to someone else and that is that's something which again is is has corrupted as king and roth have said have corrupted civil society and, and, and the idea of any sort of uh, decorum, uh, right? And, and, and it bespeaks an incredible selfishness, right? And again, I'm just reiterating a point that you made, but go ahead. Yeah, now, I just wanted to say this is a, a tangent, but I have seen people who feel uncomfortable not being on the cell phone. And I know in terms of one patient, at least, who will actually have fake conversations just so that she can show that she has people. She, I'm not alone. I have things to do. And just talk. And just talk to nobody about, oh, we got to get this done, got to get that done, about businesses that she had no contact with. But again, she fits in into this um, 
seemingly connected but actually disconnected world. So, 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 so how did it occur, really? And, I, and I'm thinking about people that I know, without, get, without naming names, who bef- 20 years ago, before this incredible device entered into our lives, they slept normally. Uh, you know, they and now they sleep with earbuds, right? And the minute something stirs them, the first thing they look at is their phone. There's almost a sense of anxiety, as you say, without it. And this has happened to people that weren't on an Asperger scale. They weren't people who who were living in a, a, a virtual cave before. Is there any, you know, is there any going back? Because I've seen it happen in front of, 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 we've all bought into that. So I know that you're into diagnostics about people on a certain scale. It, it's happened on a mass scale where, and I will sometimes say, you sleep with your phone, you sleep with the earbuds, you, you actually have the phone, and you can't, you know, you feel a sense of anxiety, as you said before, without having it. And it's not just people that we would say are, are abnormal, right? Right. Well, but look, you can have a, a much simpler analogy. How many people do you know that, that can do a Walden kind of setup? When I read Walden, my first reaction was, weirdo, right? What is wrong with you? You can leave a car alone, you can leave society, you can't do that. And okay, so one person succeeds, two succeed. There ain't no going back. And you think of somebody who is going back to written manuscripts. I mean, it's a couple of monks in Tibet. It ain't going to happen. Nobody's going to give up a car. Nobody's going to give up an airplane. Nobody's going to give up. No, these are very convenient and they also feed into addictive aspects. It also makes us feel very productive. And it's also socially constrained. If you don't participate, you're a widow. Like somebody, that, do you know anybody who doesn't have a cell phone? How do you look at that person? Do you know anybody who doesn't have a landline? Do you know somebody who refuses to use any motorized um, uh, um, equipment? Okay, you start with the Amish and you look backwards. But part of the, the, the charm of the Amish is that you're looking at peculiar people. You don't see them as regular people who just say, we don't want this stuff, okay? Anything like, it's not going to work. No, there's no going back. And in a sense, we've managed to alienate ourselves from others and from ourselves with all these, so to speak, time-saving devices. It saved you nothing. People are much more hooked into everything. People can't read a book anymore. Nobody reads a book. Some people don't know what a book is anymore. Who would bother reading it? What you have is three excerpts from Kindle, and that's it. Nobody reads. So in a sense, we've become less of what used to be considered human, but more of what might be considered human as we're all approaching becoming androids. We're getting better at that. Yeah, well, well let, me, let me put two um, uh, parts that maybe are connected to uh, a religious sensibility. Let me first pick up on the last thing that you said. <clears throat> Both of us are products of a system that lo- that valued the ability to uh, to work on a safer, to work on us, to take out the Gemara, right? Um, and uh, I heard from my Rebbe, Rav Moshe Heinemann, in the name of his Rebbe, Rav Aaron Kotler, that when the Mishnah says "im ein kemach ein Torah," meant the page that you'd be working on would be so. Uh, your your fingers would have pressed that so tightly in your intense 
concentration over it, that you had turned the pages into fine flour because you went over the words and the idea, you read it, you, you stepped back. Um, there is something about the tactile involvement with a book that is somehow what we view as the the bridge to great understanding and learning. Um, you know, what, what happens, I think, and I, and of course, I'm on the computer a lot. <clears throat> I have a number of databases that I always refer to. As you can see, uh, uh, Sam, when you look at my uh, visage, you also see behind me all my Svarim. There's Svarim, I know exactly where they are, but I'd rather just pull it up on the screen. And, 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 and there, there is, we suffer because of that. Because what we do is, like you say, we take a piece we take the, 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 what we think is the relevant little passage and then mold them all together instead of having a holistic new understanding, which comes from a book. In other words, like you say, you have the book and then you put it down, you reflect, you go back to the passage. It, it, the, the, and I think that produces great thoughts. That produces people that, as you say, are not just androids, or I would say in the rabbinic parlance, people who are just parroting like a tookie, what the last guy said, having the safer and like being like that Tom Hanks character in a way in, in Castaway instead of a, a soccer ball, but having that Gamora in front of you or whatever the safer is allows you to invest in it brilliance and understanding in a way something different. So I think real scholarship of Torah in, in, in the illuminating way is going is it seems to be a thing of the past because of this lack of farm. I just want to say one last thing in terms as the rabbi here. Although I would I would say I think you got your smicha before me or whatever your 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 rabbinic connection before I did, and that is the following. When I was teaching um, high school, one of the things that when we had Shabbatonim and other events that was considered a great scandal was that the kids were texting on Shabbos, that it, we, we made a Shabbos environment in order to sort of um, bring the students into what we felt was the real beauty of our, uh, of, of, of our religions, the apex of our religion, a Shabbos together. And then it was discovered that many of them were in their dorm rooms with their phones texting to each other and others. And it was considered Look how terrible the world is. I remember the, the head of the high school quoted the Chafetz Chaim and said, when the Chafetz Chaim heard about the Chil Shabbos that was happening, the tears were in his eyes, and he just said, Shabbos, Shabbos, Shabbos. All of that was not only an extreme overreaction, it was a complete misunderstanding of what our, the new generation, the generation that we spawned, feel. To them, it isn't I'm rebelling against God, and I need to, t- and therefore I will, therefore take this phone and and light a fire and cook an egg. That's the way I am as a human. You want me to give this up? You want me <laughs> without my phone? I, I, I'm nobody. I, I I need to be a person, and and therefore we need to have, I believe, a sort of an understanding of why the type of chilul Shabbos that's occurring with with kids using their phones, it isn't a sign of throwing away the, 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 the society that they lived in. 
It's actually absorbing the messages that the greater society and, and even the micro society of the Jew, of Jews are doing. We all know Israel, and I'm going to let you respond now. Israel has the greatest number of cell phones, and you live there, uh, per adult, right? When I, let, when I went to Yerushalayim for my kid's uh, wedding, and I, and, I, and I told my daughter and, and son, my daughter and, and wife, here's Rechov uh, Malcha Yisrael that leads into Meisharim. You're in for a treat. We are going to descend into real Kedusha now because we parked the car and then we, we walked a mile and a half or two miles up from the top of the hill. But you know what they noticed? That every single incredibly rich religious person was walking down was on his phone. And they said, wow, there's so many people here. Uh, so is, is it a wonder that our, that the children that we have are going to be using phones on Shabbos? <laughs> of course. It's almost like they can't, you can't take their humanity away. Okay, I gave you a lot. You can yeah, okay, so let me just tell you. I was going to tell you that to me, as an Orthodox Jew, basically my island of sanity has become Shabbos because that's the time I can actually read a book I can read a safer. Inevitably, I end up catching up on Dafyomi because I don't have an hour of time ever without stuff coming in except for Shabbos. It's, I mean, in fact, I sleep very little sometimes at night on Shabbos because I'm catching up. Hey, it's quiet time. I can get a book. Um, I wanted to also um, mention that on Shabbos itself, unfortunately, is the time that I do most of my creative work. In other words, not first of all, um, let's say um, sometimes ideas come up about patients who I've been seeing, and I say, "Hey, I can work this out in my mind because I actually have some time without being bombarded by electronics." It's true for theories also. I mean, I've done some heavy theoretical work, and um, my real dilemma sometimes on Shabbos is, let's say, even in learning, I have something to say about this Tosus. I want to look this up. I don't remember all of what I'm supposed to do. All these stickers, they stop after a while, and especially if I think of some kind of complicated way to analyze something, I have no way to mark that down so I can work with it later. Um, you mentioned the, um, the um, um, Shabbos addiction towards texting. I mean, you're mentioning it more in the modern Orthodox society. I can tell you that the last um, a complaint I've heard about that was from a Hasidish Rebbe in Bnei Brak, whose son is about to get married, who texts on Shabbos. I mean, he's observant, he's everything, but there is no way to tell him. Texting, as you said, and so it's not just with people who's, um, let's say, it's not Torah, or it's not even their their life is Torah. This is someone who's Hasidish Rebbe's kid, and he can't can get himself out of it either. And I can also, in terms of confessions, you confessed about yourself, I can confess to you that sometimes I have to like retrieve something, like my talus or something which happens to be lying in my office. I have one room in my apartment, which is an office where I do a lot of my work, and I come in, and by mistake, something happened on my desk, and something fell onto the keyboard, and all of a sudden, the screen lights up. It's no longer in sleeping mode. I cannot resist looking on there to see, okay, so which patients have closed? What is going on? Which paper has been rejected? What do they want? What kind of water? And it's all on the screen. And I see that as something that really says that the world out there is beckoning to say, finish with Shabbos already. You know, it's exactly candlelighting time. What's the first thing you do after after Havdalah or even before Havdalah when there's manas up? You 
log on and see everything you've missed. So Shabbos has been an island to me. And when you talk about Bar Shabbos, Bar Manucha, I experience it. Okay, I don't work all day like Tevya, but with that kind of hard work, and then I appreciate resting my body, but I rest my soul, so to speak. So, I guess back to my So let, let me throw in another rabbinic parallel. You know that as... Um, uh, Klal Yisrael moved into from the shtetl in Europe to the larger cities, you know, as cities like Warsaw Lodge and, you know, even, you know, Grodna and other, and, 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 and they, they became so large in the industrial uh, era that there were problems halachically of setting up the Eruv, which would allow people to carry from one neighborhood to the other, even within the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a pushback. There was a certain group that felt the halachic problems of, of having an Eruv in such a large place prevent that. And therefore, what we need to do is we're in these big cities, but, you know, uh, you won't be able to go out. The women won't be able to go out with the small children and whatever sort of prams or carriages they had. People won't be able to carry their, their talesim. And that was considered, look, this is keeping Shabbos. Whereas it was actually the Chassidish of Paiskin, who, with Avnezer and others, who pushed for Erevin. And they pushed and they said, look, we've got to come up with kulas. We have to be so mech on certain shitas because this is what life demands. And we can't close people in and imprison them. And it's those Chassidish of Paiskin, as you know, that even that became the basis for even the Erev in the place where you used to live when I first met you, and Flatbush. And we know what the pushback was. So here's my parallel. We're in an era where, you're right, it's not just the modern Orthodox kids in the high school that I was teaching in. It's also everyone. Maybe what we have to develop, and again, I, I know I'm going out here on a limb, is, is an Eitsa for kids where they where it won't be Chil Shabbos Mamish. I'm not from Machon Lev, but if this is something that's so necessary for them, maybe this is something that we we have to provide. Instead of trying to fight this and say, you know, throw the device away. It, it, it's so much entrenched within us that maybe we could we could say, look, you can use this device, which is not really Chilu Shabbos, because it, it doesn't really create enough of a circuit to be able to be considered Ksiva. And, it, and it's on the whole time. And it's not really Binyan on Shabbos. And it's not really... And it's voice activated rather than writing. Yeah. Sure. And, 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 and therefore, we would be giving our kids a way out. Because, because we would at least say, okay, look, maybe best, it's like the same thing. I don't use the Erev. All right, so you're modern Orthodox. This is what you do. But you're not chutzman amachana because you use the Erev, okay? Okay, you wear a, a sheta with human hair. All right, that's a certain kula. Maybe there, there should also be, based on the Rabbonim, people who, because of our society, which isn't going to change, ad bias Mashiach, who use, who text and use their, <laughs> their phones on Shabbos. I don't think it's so wild. I mean, it's coming to me in a sort of an inspiration, but but maybe that would be a better way than to turn these kids into pariahs because of their cheshek. Instead of running in and, and screaming about the Chafetz Chaim and slapping them in the face, recognizing that they are guiltless. <laughs> what do you expect from them? Do you expect from them that, that, that once they go into the mikveh of Shabbos, that they, they go into a different world? They go into the world that they know. 
Anyway, I just wanted to hear your your, your response. Yeah, okay. To that. Well, I think like sociologically, you might have some hassles with that, but you probably are going to find um, some acceptance to that kind of approach in the medical field. In other words, for instance, okay, so but most of what I do doesn't require you know immediate intervention because of pikuach nefesh, but I can very well see them saying yes, you can go over to your machine in your office, which is constantly on, and just start speaking, saying, send a text to so-and-so, you have a macro, saying, okay, I think that you might want to consider dropping a medication or doing X or doing Y. It's uh, probably in the realm of saving a limb. As I'm saying, you probably will get inroads there because when you get to, um, shall we say, situations that are urgent or potentially catastrophic, I mean, I have made quite a few phone calls on Shabbos when I felt somebody's life was in danger. But when it's not in danger, I can see those kinds of things, uh, those kinds of adjustments being offered for people who are in trouble. And then it's up to people then to translate, okay, how psychologically would this person be in trouble if you did not allow them certain amounts of leeway? So I don't know about the halachic aspects of it, but there's no question, as, as you said a while ago, there ain't no going back. There ain't no going back. You will not be able to separate this at all. And just like we've gotten into um, all kinds of a terror and being able to walk on the street, even though there's electric eyes, and in Israel especially, you're constantly being filmed. Everything is there. And there's a terror. You don't attend. You don't think about it. By the same token, there will be inroads here that you're constantly being monitored. In COVID, they're constantly checking where you're going. How far are you going? The the big brother here is phenomenal in Israel, and you have to come up with certain adjustments. Otherwise, you will end up not moving like the Karayim and Shabbos. Uh, you sit tight and don't move. Yes. It's a the, clash of... Put it this way. The dissonance that will occur. It's one thing to say, elevate yourself. It's another thing to say, transform yourself into a different being as long as society is addicted connected enveloped it's 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 it is really unfair to demand a a, a transformation and again this uh, complete severance especially now it's one thing me and you Shmilo, that are part of a certain era of the world we can remember those days when, yeah, you remember 10, 15 years ago, you didn't even have a cell phone? Yeah, okay, no no phones. But the generation that we've spawned, our grandchildren, it might be impossible to demand that from them. It's unrealistic, and I think what it'll do is, is really cause uh, great guilt and, 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 and really will not be positive. Uh, look, j- just to reiterate what I said before, a brisker will scream, at someone using the Erev and say, that guy is a machal Shabbos b'farhesia, right? We're not going to eat his shechita. And, and, and you'll heal that brisker and you'll say, you nuts, right? <laughs> That's just a guy walking to shul with his talus. In, in the same way, I think that, again, it, it's sad that it has occurred this way, but <laughs> you're not going to be able to stop that. So I, I think the Rabbanim, and again, me and you are not going to change anything, but I think if people hear from people like you, the psychological damage that occurs by um, branding these people this way and not understanding what's going on in the Velt, you know, might mitigate and might cause, as you say, these heterim to come. 
Go ahead. I can tell you, I've had some interactions with some rabbis, not quite in this area, but in a very related area that I don't want to get into right now. And they've always used the, the, the uh, trump card of what they called anus. That this kind of stuff, it's really out of a person's choice. So instead of getting involved with the slippery slope, which is always the mantra you have to cite, instead of getting involved with saying it's fine, saying it's not fine in my book, but I am not quick to label such a person or to condemn him or to um, punish him in some way, because this is not something that he really has a choice over. And they definitely have that kind of um, uh, um, leeway in certain kinds of halachas where they feel this person needs it under threat of psychological malfunctioning, which they consider to be a sakana of some sort, sometimes even life sakana. But, so there is a way, but of course you have to, if you want to be part of um, orthodox society, you have to mention every couple of minutes, slippery slope, slippery slope. Fine. So we're aware of that. What we're just doing, I feel, is just in an informal way trying to point out that this has become so insidious that there is no going back here. And especially for youngsters, you tell them that that's like telling them to be someone who um, is so careful with what they say and what they do with Lush and Hara that they basically stop existing, which is just, a, it's not for us. It's for some Yechide scholar for some special people, but it's not for the normal person out there. And I say normal, it's not crazy. For the normal yeah. person. Well, yeah. let's, let's end this conversation with, uh, with another, um, I want to throw you another nugget out there. Um, we know there are people, you know, even though we're saying that, that interpersonal relationships are, are becoming rarer in terms of having actual conversations, but we know there are people that are, we talked about road rage last week, but we, I think that phenomenon exists here as well. They're starkly different. When, when you meet them, you talk to them, they have a certain type of, and we're not talking about people with Asperger's or something who now find their voice, but we have people who are one way and then online, they either have an avatar that they inhabit or they, they become, you know, shrill, angry, and, 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 and somehow the, this option has, has allowed something, again, we talk about the insidiousness. Can, can you talk about that, these, that, how we're supposed to understand that? The, the person who uh, has sort of, sort of a Jekyll and Hyde type of uh, mentality that w- w- on, person to person, he's one way. And then online, it's like, what's going on over here? I mean, how would you, how would you explain that? Sure, sure. So I see it basically, I have to tell you, clinically, my experience with this is of victims. I mean, people who actually are driven very close to suicide because of, shall we say, bullying online. It is not so uncommon with adolescents at all, especially on FaceTime, not uncommon at all, where people just suddenly get their entire um, floor pulled out from under them suddenly. But uh, essentially, it is the similar kind of dynamic as last time. It gives you a certain amount of armor, distance, um, shall we say, disguise, even though everybody knows, usually people know who you are, but it gives you a certain amount of emotional distancing from the issue that you can let your uh, more base, inappropriate, and aggressive, unsocialized feelings out to become just totally out of there. It's almost like being told, I mean, the Gemara says that someone who can't control his instincts should like... um, uh, put on black clothing and disguise himself and go to a place that you don't know him and just act out, you know, and then get it out of their system. 
I'm not sure that's a that's an official formula, but it's there as an option. And that same thing happens over here. Somehow you feel like you do in the car. Nobody knows who I am or what I'm going to do. Or let's say if you're totally disguised, I'm Purim, you can do all kinds of crazy things and nobody will blame you. Here, there's that distance. I'm not really there. It's just a name. Most people don't even know who this person is. And it just allows you to, to let all your, um, shall we say, inappropriate or evil kinds of intentions out. And it's, it's, um, it's deplorable. It's deplorable. Yeah, but it's- I think it's the same kind of theory. It's depersonalized. It's not you. It's far enough from you. And you have the right to do whatever you want to. And especially because you're not there physically in the moment. So who cares? Persons got start crying. I can't hear them crying. They're typing. So it's not, it's not, it doesn't relate to me. So, so again, let me just tell you, I've studied that Gemara often, the one you refer to, and if you look at the commentaries there, they talk about by wearing the black and by dressing yourself up, you sort of self-reflect and say, boy, this is ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? Look at me. You know, well, my Zorro, like, like all of a sudden I'm in some, I'm in some other city and I'm a superhero, like, and, and I'm wearing these clothes. Okay. And now I'm going to find the brothel in order to uh to pleasure myself and you either you might stop or even if you go through with it the the image you're going to have in your brain is so ridiculous you say okay i did my rum springer right uh, using the amish muscle i did my mishagas okay i got it out of my system so it's not taunting me anymore whereas the online persona is actually something, as we talked about the addictive nature of it, it allows this bifurcation to occur. So here you have, you know, this normal nice guy who then sneaks into his man cave and then becomes this this horrible creature that he can't stop being. And 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 and, and that's has, has has created or brought out the sex offenders. It's brought out the people who are out there praying. It's brought out the trolls. And unlike the Gamarazza, which could somehow say, okay, now you see how stupid this is? You see what that is? Don't you want to go back to your life? It's actually created uh, this option that the person is going to relish and stay in and actually, you know, sort of like be excited about. And maybe, <laughs> so I think this is something which, again, you know, is, is a lot more terrible than the little kid who needs to text, but it's really an aspect of the same phenomena that mm-hmm. we start that we've been talking about this whole time and and and, and again I, I would assume in your practice you you deal with such people who sort of have this this life online which is so yeah, and that, that actually facilitates acting out within that sphere instead of keeping it repressed it actually gives something like that freedom to express itself which can theoretically be good for the rest of your life the problem is that that becomes the rest of your life and your actual relationships have been diminished. But sure, no, you've, you've put your finger on something uh, that's profoundly disturbing. And again, um, what's good for my business, in a sense, is that we're not going back. It's going to get worse. So, the the I, so these online the trolls... The online trolling and this idea of these, the, we we consider the, the this ugly, perverse, usually a male, I think, I, again... Is probably uh, going to uh, don't say that. Don't say that. Okay, I don't know. You tell me. But whatever the the ugly perversity that we talk about of 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 is going to continue, right? As long as we're in this world, 
it's almost like <laughs> imagining that the, you know, that the cartoon raid button is really going to get rid of all the roaches and vermin. Like we can have a, we can imagine that the ones that the FBI c- catches in the sting operation are, oh, that's going to eliminate that. But just like the cockroaches, it's going to come out of the wall and it's probably going to be with us for a while. It will become normative and then we'll be dealing you know, in 30 years and some WhatsApp and some of these um, conversations with something that assumes this is nothing compared to what we have now. This will be the good days. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, again, we end with uh, not so much hopefulness, but perhaps, as we say, you know, even talking about it in reflection, maybe if between the two of us and if others listen to it, could maybe, if not stem the tide, but at least allow us to all chisel out some sort of oasis of positive interactions. So that's it, my friends, for this week uh, on, as my, uh, as Dr. Juni would say, uh, all over the place, rambling sort of discussion, but I think all centered on, on, I think one topic, I think. (laughs) So take care, Dr. J. Thanks a lot. We'll see you, Mitz Hashem, hopefully next week. Take care, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.